You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 267. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the site I recommend for anyone that needs to start a new website for whatever reason that you may have, whether it is a wedding and you need to take the different like RSVPs, whether if it's something like a blog or business or product-based shop, you name it, even logins like classes like we have with Flow With Intention Online. We have done these through Squarespace and find it so incredibly easy to use. As I've said before, I really recommend because the templates are already done so well, you don't have to spend the time and money on a designer, but really just spend your time focusing on the photos that will match your template super well. If you do those together, great photos and the beautiful Squarespace templates, you've got an amazing site for half the price and less of the stress than any other way that I know how to make a website. So if you want to try this yourself, use the offer code LIVELY to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Head over to squarespace.com lively to give it a shot. Try it out for free. And again, use the code LIVELY to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now let's move on. I am in Sydney here. This is my last and final week of Flow With Intention online. We're doing this round of class, and now it's after this point going forward, going to be an evergreen course. So if you're listening to it at this point in time, Flow With Intention is no longer a live course at this point. It's now going to be online evergreen. So whenever you have the inclination to start learning how to get into that amazing alignment that makes things flow in your life so much easier, manifest, and go to a much deeper level than what we are able to cover here on The Lively Show, when it comes to all of these concepts, please try this out. In the future, which I think is going to be next winter or whatever, let's see, because north-south hemispheres, it's a little confusing. Next February is when I'm looking to launch the next advanced course that's the addition beyond Flow With Intention. So the Evergreen course is going to now become a prerequisite to the future course where we're going to go into unconditional alignment and doing things with our consciousness rather than inspired action and effort. So that's all in the future. But now let's back it up. Today on the show, I have one of my favorite podcasters in the world on the show once again, Pat Flynn. Pat Flynn has a business podcast called Smart Passive Income, and I have loved Pat for so long. He has been such a big part of my podcasting journey, and I've also had the privilege of going on to his show and speaking about my story and experience, and also he's been here already. So this is his third time coming back on the show. And of course, at this time, we're talking about a new subject. We're talking LOA Q&A here, and Pat, as you'll hear, is not someone who's an expert by any means on law of attraction, but he's someone who's been obviously using the principles in a way that gives him the results he's looking for. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the business world and whether hustle is still such a big topic or not. Since I have been into this work, I have removed myself from a lot of the hustle rhetoric that is out there in the business world. So he gives us his insights from the experiences he's been having. In addition, Pat is a really engaged and awesome father who is excited to share this work with his children as well. So you'll hear him ask me questions, and this ends up becoming much more of a dialogue and conversation than just a straight-up interview. So enjoy what we have to share together. Let's go to the show. Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Yeah, thank you again for inviting me back. I'm honored. I know. I think you're one of the few people that's been on three times now. So thank you very much. That's awesome. And hello to everybody who hasn't yet met me yet. Yes. Since it's been a while since you were last on, I think it was around a year ago. Can you quickly catch people up to who you are and how you got there? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'll make this quick. So first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father here who lives in San Diego. And I just feel so blessed that I'm able to have a job, essentially, or, or a business that allows me to live a life that allows me to put family first. And so we practice this, right? Like my wife and I, we both drop off our kids and pick up our kids from school each day because that's how we've built you know, our lives. And the business that I run, the first business I ran was back in 2008, and it was a business that was set off to help people pass and examine the architecture industry. And I built that after getting laid off from an architecture job I had that I actually loved. And what was a tough time in my life actually turned out to be one of the biggest blessings in disguise, this getting laid off so that I can discover all these amazing opportunities and then build a business of my own and have control. and 
after that business succeeded, I built smartpassiveincome.com, which is where most people know me from now, which has a podcast. We just passed 50 million downloads, which is just crazy. A best-selling self-published book called Will It Fly and multiple books you know, around that as well. I speak around the world now and I blog and I have an active YouTube channel as well. And it's just one of my favorite things is just to help people figure themselves out so they can help other people and get paid for doing that too. And here we are and you know, it's 2018 now and I'm working on more books and I'm trying new experiments. That's something I love to do on my website is to build new businesses, try new things and kind of use myself as a crash test dummy to see, okay, well, what worked, what didn't work and what could I pass on to everybody else so they can have a better uh, and, and bigger advantage when they try something else. And so I'm working on a physical product right now, which is a new territory for me, potentially a traditional book and online courses and, and all this new stuff that's so fascinating. And, and more than anything, I just am thankful that I can continue to do this, but still be here to, to support my family and be there with them as they're growing too. And now my kids are getting involved in the business a little bit. My son and I were very shortly going to start a podcast together. We've already recorded season one together. He's only eight years old, by the way. And so he comes home from school with all this energy. I'm like, let's take this energy and capture it and then share it because it's so amazing the things he's learning and that he's regurgitating. And I wanted to kind of expand on that and help coach him through some of the things he's learning and, and helping him to understand that. But it also becomes like great bonding time between us. And then my daughter is now getting involved with like, you know, she wants to do a YouTube channel where she wants to read to other kids around the world, which is incredible. So to have them be a part of the business in that way, or at least like kind of do the same things I do, but do it in their own voice. It's just so cool. Oh my God. When I have a kid, I don't care what they want to do. If they want to be whatever they want to be, I'm going to support that. But I also want to make sure they understand how to make money. Because if you know how do you can make money, then you can truly do anything. You're not reliant upon anyone else. So if you want to get a job, you can. But if you don't choose to want that or you want to do something differently, you'll always be able to support yourself. So there's never any limitation on that. So I love that you're getting them into it. For sure. Thank you. Like the relationship with money that I have, you know, I struggled with it a lot, even as starting a business um, because of my past with money. And I think it's important to learn the right way to utilize money as a tool and to also, more importantly, just have the skills to generate that income so that no matter what you do, no matter what you end up enjoying, you can survive and thrive. Exactly. Okay. So this, like I told you earlier, is going to be different from probably any interview you've necessarily done before. Cause I don't know. I don't think you're like putting on the hat of like, I'm an expert at law of attraction. So what does that term, if I say it to you, what's your first reaction and associations to that term? The secret. Yeah. And all the publications around, you know, think and grow rich and such. That's where my head goes. And it's interesting because when I was first introduced to those works, it all seemed kind of woo-woo for me. And when I started to really dig deep into the success stories behind several of my mentors and, and entrepreneur friends, I was like, this can't be made up. Like there's a thing here where what you believe comes true, but obviously you still need to put in the work and, and actually take those opportunities that are presented to you. But it's true. And for the last couple of years now, I have this quote from Henry Ford, which is, you know, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And in that way, the law of attraction is so true and so real. And if you attract negativity in your life, you're going to be surrounded by negative people and you're going to not have the opportunities that a person who surrounds himself with ambitious people are going to have. So although on the surface, it may seem kind of like, really, like all you have to do is say that. Well, no, obviously. But if you practice it and you believe it, then you will do the things that give you those opportunities where guess what? It actually does come true. So no, I'm not an expert on this thing. And, it, and, and it's not anything that that's super simple for me to just, you know, if somebody asks me a similar question, I'm going to give them this, uh, the same answer. But then, you know, I know people will want to dig deeper and understand, OK, well, how like what systems? And it's funny because even before we recorded, you were talking about how like, you know, it's not about the systems. It's about the flow and the energy you put through those systems. And I so believe that because you can have the best systems in the world, but if there's no energy there, if there's no sort of motivation to get through all that, then you can have the best systems in the world. It's not going to matter. You're not going to be successful. So this idea of energy and positive thinking is so important to me. And it's something that I practice every day now. And it's hard for me because I'm more of a logical, I'm more of a numbers, I'm more of a results driven type of person. So what motivates me most are spreadsheets and you know, like numbers and conversion rates and percentages, even when it comes to like 
the kids and their progression. But I'm learning, and perhaps you can coach me to, to incorporate this into my life even more, to start thinking more positively outside of the numbers. And one thing I do to do that is journal. And I, I journal about what I'm grateful for and, and what I hope to achieve this day or how I hope to feel by the end of the day, those kinds of things. I love it. There's gonna be so much here. I already, just from you saying that stuff, you've set me up so well to have such a juicy conversation with you. Okay, so one of the things, you've got it pretty clear. Now, I always say this on the show for anyone that's new, if they're coming over maybe from your channels and stuff, they're maybe new to hearing about the term law of attraction. The secret is probably the biggest, most popular, commonly known association with it. And a lot of people found it pretty shallow because they just kind of touch the surface of the subject. And so a lot of people associate the term with the secret. So they think law of attraction is the secret. It's not. It's like a documentary was made about gravity and everyone's assuming the documentary is gravity. Does that make sense? And like someone could do a great job at the documentary on gravity or someone could do a terrible job about explaining gravity in a documentary, but that's just the most commonly known one. So when people didn't resonate with how that came across for them, then they rejected gravity if that makes sense. So they're rejecting a physical principle rather than an idealized, like a version of it that's that's kind of sharing. So also out of that, a lot of people, and I'd actually, I don't love the secret, so I wouldn't even want to spend the time to go back into it, but it would be interesting if I went back and really watched it now that I have the level of understanding I do now to even see how much they really focused on because everybody that talks about this, especially the people that reject it, say, that their doubts are around the idea that if you think it, then it will happen. And like you said, you're kind of open to that. But what people don't understand is though that is triggering the first little spark, it is not the attractive part. The actual emotion, literally the energy in motion, emotion, energy in motion starts. The first manifestation is the feeling. So when they say, oh, if I just think it, but they're feeling broke, if I just think that I'm a millionaire, but they're feeling broke, they're thinking they're a millionaire, feeling broke, feeling broke is trumping whatever they're thinking. So people can think as much as they want. They could say it a million times a day, an affirmation, and get nowhere with it because the universe doesn't attract to your thoughts. It attracts to your emotion. So if your thought is creating your emotion, then you're good. They're in alignment. But if your thought is not in alignment with your emotion, the emotion is what the universe is paying attention to. So would a better title than of the other book be Feel and Grow Rich? Yes, exactly. The thing about, I've actually studied this so much and I have a very strong cerebral center. And out of my journey the last two years of this, I've realized the real power of this is in the feelings and especially the heart. The heart having also the largest magnetic field in our bodies because most of our iron, which is in our blood, is circulating through the heart. So the heart actually also, by the way, when you have thoughts, I've said this on the show before, but it's new for you, Pat, and maybe others listening. When you have the thought, the electrical impulse fires through the neural network. So you get your neurons firing. This is like, you love the science, right? So let's go into some of this. So when you have the neural network fire, there's a little bit of electrical energy there, but there's more energy in the electromagnetic field. Now, what you're doing after you make the thought is it's kind of like you place an order to your hypothalamus to create an emotion based on the thought. So that order, it's like looking at the menu of options. You think I want the cheeseburger. That order goes from the waiter's mind to the chef and the chef actually puts the cheeseburger together. So nothing's actually happened from the moment that you say, I want a cheeseburger Till, until the chef starts putting the patty together, there's no actual cheeseburger, right? There's no actual manifestation. The first manifestation when it comes to all of this stuff is the emotion because that's a neural peptide. That's a chemical. So it's not just the neurons firing. That's actually a creation, a physical creation of chemicals. Once those chemicals like oxytocin and cortisol, adrenaline, whatever the emotion is that matches the order you've made, 
or whatever, even if you have a deeper belief that's actually superseding the order, like you say you want the cheeseburger, but you really don't feel like you're worthy of it, then the order of what you feel like is really going to happen. But once that goes into the hypothalamus and creates that cheeseburger, the neural peptide, it goes down through the bloodstream into the cells. So that's when you start having the emotion become a physical feeling. So when we say we have feelings, that's the emotion. That's the activated body state of the emotion that we've chosen. But sometimes we're not even aware because we're so new to this. We're like little cavemen, honestly, when it comes to consciousness. We're just learning to meditate. Like this is, you know, very early days of this. We think we're super far because we invented plastic and we got someone to the moon. But really, we're just like little ants on the anthill that finally figured out how to get off the anthill. So we have to look at ourselves not as like super far and evolved, just like evolving beings that have unlimited potential to go forward with this. So are there signs that like based on how we feel that we can use as information to take the next steps? For example, like, you know how they say like, oh, you know, I'm nervous. I have butterflies in my stomach and you can literally like feel it in your stomach, right? Or, or, or you have something where it's in your throat now that you're like something physical as a result of something you thought. Do they mean certain things and can we take action based on that? Oh, that's so interesting. Actually, if you have a long, enduring state of dis-ease in one of those areas, like you're not comfortable in one of them, you can actually create a physical illness. Think about it. If you have that feeling for long enough, like once I had this awareness, I started getting very interested in where things were showing up and what was connected to that. So one of the things, have you ever heard of chakras? I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, so chakras are energy centers. Each part of your body that you would claim a chakra, and you know, if you go to yoga class, I'll talk about that. There's a gland in your body that's associated with that chakra of that area. So each part of our body has basically its own little center of information. Now, one of the things you may not know, but you'll love knowing is that your heart has 40,000 neurites, just like your brain, which has obviously way more. Your heart has its own heart version of a brain. It actually doesn't always agree with your brain's feelings on a subject. It has its own feelings. So when they do heart transplants, they've been finding often they're closed transplants, like no one knows who the heart came from, but they have had some where there's some awareness and linking and the personality shifts that happen in the person that received the heart are truly hilarious because the person that's never had Kentucky Fried Chicken or beer before starts really wanting that. You know, some woman that inherited this 50-year-old man's heart is like, I got to have this the minute she gets the heart transplant. Where did that come from? It came from the preferences of the heart of the person. So we think that we're just our brains. This is super random, but a while back I heard they're going to do a head transplant. We think that that center is the only center of our being and our personality. But it's going to be so interesting when they actually shift that to this other guy's body to see what is the same and what actually isn't. Because we associate all of the focus in our society on the brain. While it is a great place, it's not the only place for information, knowledge, and ultimately creating our lives. It's a starting point, but it's the heart that's really doing the attraction and it's really doing the deeper work. And when we can activate it more deliberately, that's when we have more control. So people just stuck in their brains and trying to control their lives just from the brain itself have to effort much more. So that's when systems and processes and the logical side of society that we've been in historically more than anything else, that's where they get the results because they're not very good at using the other part of themselves and they're not even usually aware or valuing it. But when you do, the cool thing about this, and this is kind of fun again to your science, mind is like, okay, back in the day, they had battleships and battleships were in the olden days based on Newtonian physics, like how a cannonball flies and having a missile that goes at this trajectory, that kind of thing, the basics before the last 100 years when we started studying the subatomic level. And what we came out with is once we got below the level of the atom and we found the energy potential within the atom and splitting it, 
like it's a ridiculous, I don't even know the multiplier, but it is an exponential multiplier. So you can have a battleship like I have outside my apartment here in Sydney that looks kind of like a toy now. It's like, that. what is that going to do? When you have a nuclear bomb that could destroy a city, what is one battleship with some like little missiles on it really going to do? The same is true when we understand this energy that we're all ultimately made of. The leverage of that and using it means we don't have to take nearly as much action to get massive results. Does that make sense? It does. Can you give me an example of how that applies? Okay, so this is something I talked about in an older episode. I haven't brought it up in a long time. It's called the photoelectric effect. So Albert Einstein back in the day, he had like his relativity theories, which are great. He got the Nobel Prize for the photoelectric effect, not the other one. So when he got that, it was a very simple principle. People assume that the more intensity of light they would think throw in the electron to get the electron to move across a cathode. So imagine there's like point A and point B. And what he's trying to do is use light to manipulate this electron to move from point A to point B. Okay. So everyone assumed it's the intensity, how hard or how much you push at it is what's going to move it. But what he found was that it was the frequency of the light, not the intensity that was the factor. If the frequency wasn't high enough, nothing was going to happen. But once the frequency was reached, then intensity had a playing factor in it. But before that, no matter how hard they pushed the light at it, it was the frequency that was really the leverage. And if you put a low amount of intensity, but a high enough frequency, it moved. You didn't actually have to try intensity-wise that hard. Of course, if you put the frequency high and you had high intensity, That's awesome. I think you fall in the category of someone who does that. I think you and Gary Vaynerchuk are people that love what you're doing. So you're getting that frequency of emotion high, but then you apply your action. You've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs. Can you think of people that are trying as hard as they can? They're putting all the intensity in, but their energy and their emotions are so contradictory that they're getting nowhere? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What do you notice about that? What, when you look at that, what do you end up thinking is going wrong for them? Well, for me, I go into, okay, what started this whole process in the first place? Because when you start something like creating a new business, typically you start it because you're excited about something, some new opportunity, some new thing that's, that could potentially happen. And typically those entrepreneurs who are at that state have tried and failed or aren't getting the results they had initially expected. So it's no wonder their energy levels are much lower because they had these expectations that were not met. And they're going through the motions that they were going through before with less energy because they are at that point at which they had expected to already see some results. Okay. So can I put law of attraction and explain that, what you just said and what's happening? Absolutely. Okay, what you did was really intuitive, right? You don't need to know about gravity to be using it. Like your kids, did you teach them gravity one day or did they just always sit on the ground? They always sat on the ground. Oh yeah, right, they didn't fly away. They didn't, even though they didn't know it. Well, they would actually run away a lot actually. Yeah, but they weren't like flying off into space because gravity is just working whether we're aware of it or not. So we don't have to take classes on gravity. It's pretty naturally obvious to us. Well, the law of attraction is working in that way, but the difficulty of law of attraction is that you're getting what you're feeling about. So if you assume the world is terrible, you're going to see every reason to prove yourself right. If you think the world is wonderful, you're going to have every reason to prove yourself right. So someone that thinks the world is terrible is right for their reality. And someone that thinks that it's wonderful is right for their reality. Them trying to communicate with each other, it's never going to seem like it's what they're saying is true because the law of attraction is literally giving them their truth. So they can't say that the other person's reality is false. So it's hard to really prove it because everyone's getting what they're feeling about. Now, when you said it, you innately knew, let's go back to when they were excited. Another way of saying that is let's go back to when they felt good about it. But like you said, when they said that they had these expectations, what they're really not necessarily conscious of, but what they're really saying is, I don't feel good now. And when this happens, when these expectations are true, I will feel better. But like we said, law of attractions matching your circumstances to your feelings. So if they're assuming they can't feel good now, 
before it happens, they can't attract it into their lives because they're matching the dissatisfaction they feel right now. Does that make sense? It does. And then that begs the question, well, how do we reframe their emotions such that they are in a happier place even before reaching those goals? All right. This is beautiful because you have kids. You can start doing this with them now because they're one is eight and one is below eight. So as your brain around seven, they get even higher. There's like kind of steps up the brainwave ladder. So when they're zero to seven, they're, I think they're mostly in theta. By the time they're seven to 12, they're mostly in alpha. Now those brainwave states are where the subconscious is. So they're downloading how the world works. So they understand how to live in San Diego and how to be Pat Flynn's child. Like they're downloading everything. They're not really aware to reject things. So if someone at school says something terrible about them. And you're like, that's obviously not true. And there's no reason the kid should believe that. But if the child doesn't have the awareness to reason that, they're just believing. And you can think to things that you were told when you were little. Not everything stuck, but there are probably some little innocuous, totally unrealistic things that people said, or even your parents in passing, that really stuck with you longer than you ever think they should have. It's because the subconscious was activated at that state. As they get older, their brains speed up to beta. We're in beta now. The problem with our society as it is right now is that once the brain speeds up, people haven't learned how to meditate, so they're not really aware of how to slow the brain back down except for sleep. So they're never really slowing it down to actually relax to have the body in homeostasis and have it like heal and have it rejuvenate and also to change the old programs, you have to go back to the brainwave state where it was absorbed or where it is actually kind of at this point in the operating system to say, you know, a technical term. So let's go back to, you had said, how do we get them to feel good if this is the problem? Again, with your kids too, we have to recognize this is the big flip. We have to reverse the evidence of our senses. So we were trained from a very young age to be excited at Christmas more than the 26th. We were trained to be excited when the bicycle came instead of the day before the bicycle came. So we have been trained to react to our situations and that's fine. There's nothing actually wrong about emoting based on circumstances, but we right now only have a really good ability of emoting based on circumstances. If you start to find a way to focus your thoughts, even on things that aren't true yet or are true but aren't in that area of your life that are positive, you can feel good. And if you can get those neural peptides going, you're gonna attract to the way you feel. So that person with the job that they're frustrated with, it would be about them focusing on their family like you do or focusing on the feelings as if the business is already created. Now, that's where Think and Grow Rich and those other places you've seen these titans of business have talked about. They've just developed this ability to focus and then feel as though it's already done. The people that try that and fail just aren't able to get to the feeling place of it being done, so they're not actually creating from that. But I'm glad you're saying this, especially in relation to my kids, because we practice such things to be grateful for things that, you know, normally we don't even consider. For example, when it rains here in San Diego, a lot of people complain like, oh my gosh, it's raining today, you know? But we frame that and we just say, hey, you know what? Be grateful that we have a day. And it just so happens that today is a day that's raining, but that doesn't make it any worse or any better. It's just a day that rains. And actually, this is great because we have a drought here. So we always try to spin it in a way such that it's not any Thing bad. It's just it is what it is, and we should be thankful that we're alive and uh, you know uh, you know we're experiencing this either way. That way, like rainy days down the road don't trigger just oh well, it's time to have a crappy day. But it's just going to be a normal day. It just so happens to rain on this day. And you know when it comes to just being grateful and being aware. I mean, tell me about this situation. Maybe I handled this well. Maybe I didn't. But it was preschool. My son comes home and he's kind of upset. And I go, "What's wrong, buddy?" He goes, "Well, my friend." at school called me weird today and I didn't like it. And I go, well, you are weird. He goes, what? And I go, and guess what? I'm weird too and your mom's weird, but don't tell her that. And your sister's weird. And you know, it's great that we're weird because that's what makes us different and awesome. And if you were not weird, you would be just like everybody else. And, and I know, and you know for a fact that you are the only you. And it becomes factual for him when we say it like that. And he was like, you know, I feel a little bit better now. So he had like, he gets called names and stuff and he comes home and I go, well, how do you feel about that? He's like, well, that's okay. 
And it's just so cool to see like what I remember applying a couple of years ago and reapplying every once in a while is now just ingrained in his head. You know, people are going to call me names and that doesn't mean it's true. It's just so what? Okay. So what I would say about that is I think it was great. I think the other thing that could happen, this is like me aware of like ego formation. Now, I don't want him to call names at the other kid and say, you're weird too. And just to try to upset the other kid. But if he has the awareness that everyone's weird, so no one is more or less weird than anyone else, because what could end up happening is I have this super human family that's weird and no one else is as weird as us, but we're better because we're weird. That superiority complex wouldn't be ideal. But if you made it clear that everyone's weird and in a way that he doesn't then call call everyone the name that he's getting back to them. So he's like, oh, you're weird too. And then that kid doesn't take it as he understands it. He's taking it as an insult. So as long as he understands that everyone's weird, everyone's creating their own reality, he's not special in any way other than everyone else's specialness, then everyone's allowed to be who they are versus feeling like I'm better than who they are. That would be the only piece of it. Otherwise, I think it's great that he didn't avoid his individuality, but everyone's individual. That was the only thing is as long as he doesn't think he's better than other kids because he's weird. It's like the only thing I would wonder he might feel. Yeah, I should ask him about that. I would care to guess that he doesn't think that. But I don't know. We'll see. Thank you for that feedback. Actually, here, do you want to have another one that I think could be really fun to share with the kids? Yeah. So the word grateful, as you were sharing it, this is a small, easy tweak that you could, if you like it, use. So this is something from this crazy sounding source named Abraham Hicks that I've really appreciated. I just used the word without even realizing it, is to shift the word gratitude to appreciation. It's a very subtle shift. You're like, why? It's the same thing, right? It's a synonym if you look it up in the thesaurus. The reason is because the energy of appreciation feels at a very subtle level different than gratitude. So what I noticed is, you know, we should be grateful to be alive. Well, really, you also at the same time you're saying that, I actually don't think you actually believe that as much as you're, it's true, but I think you're just saying the cultural norm. I actually think that you know deep down that you create your own reality and you're choosing to be alive right now because you choose to breathe and eat and you have the business you have because you've chosen it and because you've created it, right? Mm -hmm. So with that, you are creating your own reality. If you could help the kids to appreciate what they're creating in their lives, you're giving them not the the non-victim creator mentality, right? So instead of being a victim of their lives and being, I'm so grateful that someone did this for me, or I'm so grateful that this happened, you know, I didn't, it's kind of like Oliver Twist, please, sir, I want some more, and I'm so grateful that you give it to me. Like you're creating your own reality. Your feelings are attracting your circumstances. So if you help them to appreciate what they're creating in their lives, they're not feeling like a victim to if this is given to me or if this isn't given to me. But I'm also thinking about things that we've talked about as a family that we're grateful for, such as, you know, that the sun came up today. And that's not something that's necessarily given to us and that we created. It just is. And appreciating what is, is is something I feel that the grateful term perhaps just better encompasses versus what I know exactly what you're talking about. The grateful is like outside to me and appreciation is me about the outside. Me appreciating my creation. Yeah, you. if you want to keep the gratitude for the things beyond yourself, but here's the thing. For example, being grateful to... I know this is going to sound a little crazy, how someone treats you or being grateful to someone else. So I'm thinking more specifically around the customers or the people that are on their team or your partner and stuff like that. You're training people by your point of attraction how to treat you. So yes, you can appreciate like they ultimately have free will. They don't have to be around you, but you can also appreciate rather than feel victim to other people's actions. So maybe if you really want to get metaphysical on it, you could say the consciousness that we are also is in charge of the consciousness that is turning the earth and spinning it in orbit and so forth. So you could kind of say on some much grander connective level, I'm not individually with my consciousness doing it, but it is a part of me that is at an eternal universal level true. But either way, I wouldn't focus, like you're saying, yeah, too much on the externals, but I'd be careful about when we start externalizing gratitude for things that are part of our experience. Yeah, I understand that. 
I don't know if you've seen any of my emails or social messages, but I always use the word appreciate. Why do you think you do it? I do it because one day I just said it and it was a, I didn't normally practice it back then. It was in an email and I replied back, hey, I just thank you for your support for the brand. I appreciate you. That's it. And I got this super long, but very heartfelt and emotional message back saying, thank you for saying that, that you appreciated me because it went into the story about how she never felt appreciated by the loved ones around her. So she got very emotional because I like to do this every once in a while. It makes a lot of my audience feel very special. And that is when I just randomly reach out to them and I just express my thanks uh, individually. To in, I have like 200,000 people on my email list, but I still do it individually. And I practice this and it's in my calendar to go out and reach out and engage. And now I do it through video. She just got really emotional because she wasn't receiving any appreciation from from anybody else. And um, I've ever since just practiced always saying that at the end of my podcast episodes, at the end of emails, it's just become my thing. I even wrote a whole blog post about it. You know, as small as it is, it matters a lot. I love it. So the other thing I didn't share about it, just another little part, appreciation versus depreciation, right? So when you appreciate, you're also speaking to the evolution and expansion of that appreciation becoming more. So depreciation means something is devaluing over time. Appreciation is the opposite where it's getting bigger. So another fun phrase that we like to say here on the show is happy, thank you, more please. So the idea is in that order, right? I'm already happy because I'm already feeling I've reversed the evidence of my senses. I found a way to get happy about something else in my life or about the thing even before it's here. Then it shows up, thank you. Thank you for it showing up and say more, please. May more things that match this feeling continue to flow my way. So appreciation also has that energy. So here's a question. In a business sense, you know, I've kind of, I told you, flowed away from paying attention to the business rhetoric because I found that if I just got happy and I followed the inclinations and the inspirations and the hunches and intuitions, I had a recent person on the show just call it a zap moment where they just clicked in and they knew the next step based on the way that they felt. Once I found that all I need to do is really get as happy as I can in that moment, whatever that looks like in that moment, and then take the next inspired action that feels like a good idea, my business doubles and doubles and doubles, and I don't even have to be paying attention to what's newest or, or look about algorithms or work on like Facebook ads and all that stuff. Like I, ha- I mean, I'm not saying anything against it. If my intuition led me to it, I would use it, but I found I haven't even needed to as I focus on the energy. So since I'm kind of out of the loop of the business world, I'd like to know, is the hustle and grind without the awareness of emotion first still prevalent out there or has that shifted at all? Oh, it it definitely is prevalent and perhaps even more so now. Really? Why is it harder? Why is it more intense? First of all, with how connected we all are now, we're seeing a lot more success stories. And with the tools we have available to us, we're able to easily see and, and hear about these stories and get inspired by them and want to do the exact same actions as those people. And what we always hear about are the success stories. We never hear about the several people who try and fail and we don't understand why they fail. We only understand how these people succeed. And a lot of times it's those who hustle and grind who have the biggest megaphone and the biggest amplification of their story. So we see people like, and I love this person, by the way, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is all about the hustle and that's his motto. And that's what he teaches people to do. You work hard and you grind yourself to the ground almost to get it done. And I love the hustle, but I think my definition of hustle is different than his definition of hustle. For me, it's not just all about work. I hustle when I relax because that's a part of what I know makes me the best version of me for who I am and what I want to do and who I want to be with. And I think it's the same for Gary too, but his definition and his DNA is different than mine, which is different than yours, which is different than all the listeners. And so, you know, I feel like he has the right energy for who he is and what he truly loves to do and what he wants. And when people put that much energy into something that is not exactly who they are and where they should be putting their energy, then it just becomes this time suck. It becomes a grind. It becomes overwhelming. It becomes depressing. It becomes stressful. And and that's where you start to see a lot of the kinds of people we talked about earlier who are doing the actions but not seeing the results. And it's because of those expectations and it's because, 
you know, they're kind of removing themselves away from something that they dislike and are so worried about, you know, getting to the other side before realizing where they are now and trying to be the the happiest person possible. So it, there is a lot of that out there. And I think, however, there are now more people who are teaching and who are being a lot more outspoken about the power of just tapping into their energy and things like meditation and journaling and visualizations and affirmations and all those things and the power behind that. I think, you know, it comes in waves, I feel. But, you know, I was watching this show on the Science Channel yesterday and it was about the pyramids. I just get kind of lost in those kinds of shows. I'm just so interested about it sometimes. And this guy was talking about how some pyramids have been able to withstand nature and just time for three, 4,000 years in Egypt. And they are still standing and they still look just structurally sound. And there are some other pyramids that are just through nature and wind and, and water just are crumbled. And the biggest difference was the angle by which those pyramids were built. Some pyramids are built at a 30% degree angle. And so they're much wider, right? Those ones crumbled. Some are at the 50 degree angle, much more steep, but they also crumbled over time. It's the pyramids that are 40 degrees that have been able to withstand time. He did this thing, imagine like a, a frame that it, it almost is like an ant hill, right? But there's nothing in it, but it's a frame with a glass that you could put sand in and it kind of stays in there, right? And he had a hole at the top of it and a funnel and he funneled sand into the bottom of this anthill thing, and you started to see the sand pile up. And just naturally, you know, as the sand piles up, it's, some of it starts to fall away and go down, and it ends up turning into a pyramid shape, like a triangle shape. And it's just, again, the natural way that the sand falls and flows and, and kind of rests on itself, it turns into a 40-degree angle. And so his thing was like, okay, these pyramids are built in a way that nature wants it to be built. And that's why they were able to last so long. And so this all goes into kind of what you're talking about, which is like when you try to force something that's not natural and when you just go with the flow and, and allow things to happen, but you know, you're understanding what works best for you, when you get more into that nature, I mean, you're gonna be more energetic, you're gonna last longer, you're going to be more structurally sound, emotionally sound, I don't know, it's just a really incredible thing that I saw that has so many analogies to, to life and, and just who people try to be versus who they are versus the amount of energy we put into things. I love that. One of the other ways of looking at this is, this is gonna simplify what you just said so much for people, and this is gonna be an easy way for them to question themselves about how they're feeling. So Gary Vaynerchuk and Massive Action, it lights him up. His endorphins get pumping. If he liked playing the violin that much, he would be the first chair in an orchestra. He just happens to enjoy business that much. So he is like basically turning on a massive vacuum full of electricity, and he is going out there and taking a massive action and vacuuming the biggest room you could possibly imagine because he's got the electricity flowing and he's pushing that vacuum because he loves it. And the more he pushes it, the more he gets happy. So the more electricity flows. You find that you like to flow that electricity. You get your juices flowing. Action feels really good to you, but it doesn't just feel good in business. So you also flow it into other areas too. And Gary does too. He's taking his health seriously also and family, but you even like to spend a lot of time on that vacuuming, not just the kitchen with the business, but the living room with your family, right? So other people, when they're putting, like you said earlier, just to demystify this, guys, when you have these expectations of how you will feel when something happens and you feel very far from the feeling of that happening, your emotion is very far from that happening. And what happens then is they can take all the actions you and Gary take all day long with their vacuum. They can do every single thing. They can move the vacuum exactly how you tell them. You can make a plan and say, this is how you vacuum, guys. But if you don't tell them to plug in the vacuum, they're going to make a lot of marks on the carpet, but no dirt is going to move. Does that make sense? So their emotions are the electricity. When you get the juices flowing and the electricity flowing, energy is moving. But you can take all the actions from a misaligned place, an unhappy place. That's when you said it becomes the grind. Nothing's happening because the emotion's not there. 
For sure. And and when it comes to business, you know, my head right now is like when when you don't put emotion into your content, into your products, like why would anybody want to get involved with that? You know, so you have to have that energy. And if you try to force something, you're forcing something onto people who just it's not for and it's going to seem disingenuine or it's just not going to be to the point at which it would actually be helpful because there's just you're not putting any energy into it. That's why we always say, like, you know, you got to start with your passion, right? It's best if your business starts with a passion. However, that's not always the best approach either, which in the business world is the the interesting kind of dilemma, the passion versus, you know, starting with something where there's a problem that you don't have a passion for. I think the best case scenario is to thoroughly enjoy and have the energy to do whatever it is you're doing, even if you weren't getting paid for it, but set it up in a way such that you can get paid for it. Basically, what you're saying is that you love it regardless of the outcome or expectation of money. When you're not thirsty for the money, you're able to feel as good as you'd feel as if you had the money so there's no block. And then therefore the money will come. Yeah, exactly. But when they're waiting for it to happen, waiting to feel good, waiting to feel good, waiting to feel good, I'm not feeling good yet. I'm not feeling good yet. It's not Christmas yet. It's not Christmas yet. As they're aware of that and emoting on that awareness, they're not able to turn on the vacuum. So they're just moving in across the carpet, but nothing's actually happening. So I always teach alignment, which is like emotional frequency, get yourself as happy as you can before action. And I've literally become a crash test dummy for this, like you are with business. I am this way with energy. So I don't take action on things until I'm leaping towards them. I spend 80% of my day just doing things and thinking, what's gonna make me happy now? What's gonna make me happy now? And literally out of that, I will hit this kind of zone of genius at times where the leap and the understanding or the contribution or the the manifestation or the connection to the opportunity is just, it's all happening without nearly the amount of effort or intensity I ever poured into it in the past. And that is counterintuitive to the old Newtonian way of the battleship. But just because we aren't trained in this, and this has been hard for us thus far, because we're kind of this bridge shifting from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things. We're like the old timers. And generations after us are going to look at us and go, God, the ones that are struggling with that, they're so behind the times. But we are shifting. We are waking up to this. And we are testing this slowly. But it's just our inability to focus very well right now on things that aren't in front of our faces, that's the hardest. And that's where meditation and going within is so powerful because it's teaching us how to shift our perception of reality to even things that aren't true yet so that we can emote on things that aren't true yet so we can attract those things. Right now, the realists in the world say, if it's not here yet, I'm not going to feel good. But even Tony Robbins, another massive action proponent, talks about getting into a beautiful peak state first. And he also talks about gratitude walks and being grateful for things even that haven't happened yet. So even though he's a Gary Vaynerchuk, he's someone that likes to turn on the vacuum first with his peak state and then then he pours it into the action, but he doesn't say take massive action with the vacuum off. Right. But people misunderstand that or they skip over that part, which is the most essential part. That's where Einstein got his, uh, you know, I'm obviously making the leap here that frequency in our lives relates to the vibration of our neural peptides. So the frequency is just the wave and the frequency of it being fast enough. So that not the intensity. The intensity can heighten and that will also exaggerate the result. But what I realized was like, if it's all about the frequency first, instead of trying for my personality, I love this stuff, right? This is so fun. So instead of like, you love taking action, so does Gary. So there doesn't have to be even quite as much frequency for you guys. You probably do love it and it just builds and builds and builds as you take the action. But I'm like so interested in conscious creation that I've kind of taken this other hack approach sort of that's like, well, if it's all mostly about frequency, what if I just dial up the frequency as high as possible and see how little action I can take to get massive results without having to try that hard? I like that because it, it reminds me of a phrase that somebody once told me who we were in a mastermind meeting and they were like, you know, we only have one life to live and you get to choose whatever it is you want to do. If it's not a hell yes, why are you even doing it? And so that's always had me going to, okay, well, with all, especially now that I've become a little bit successful with all these opportunities, right? I have opportunities to say yes all the time. So how can I level that up one more such that 
I'm saying no to even some of the things I normally would have said yes to or most people would say yes to and only go for the, the hell yeses. But you know why that is? The hell yes is the most exciting feeling you would have. So that action ties into the highest emotion. So before, when you were more used to either one of two things is happening, either the circumstances that create that amazing feeling are now heightened. So what it takes for you to feel amazement is stronger. It needs to be a stronger thing, right, than it used to be. The first $100 or $700 you made, pretty excited. The first dollar and 18 cents from AdSense was exciting, yeah. Right? Exactly. Now, what would it, the number that would get you that level of excitement now would be far different. There's nothing wrong with that. We're expanding beings of the universe because we're parts of the universe. The universe is expanding. So if you didn't have that new desire for something new in your life, there'd be no reason for you to live. It's not like hating Richard Branson because he has all this stuff and he has more than we have. Like He, of course, wants to keep growing and expanding in his life. He's not dead yet. So of course, he's not satisfied completely completely with where he's at because he still is also expanding. And expanding doesn't always look like more money or more clothes or more boats. Sometimes that new expansion could be a desire for less boats and less complications and less team, right? So it's just about the newness of something. But that feeling for you of the hell yes is equating to either it takes more to get me that excited or I wasn't used to, and I'm very curious with you, Pat, because you're so heart focused. Even if you're in your head a lot, you feel so much. I can tell that you just do. But do you feel like you have found the capability of feeling even more happiness and joy than you did years ago? Do you literally think you've actually reached new levels of positive emotion than maybe 10 years ago? I always get asked the question, you know, if I wasn't laid off, would I still be doing what I'm doing today? The guaranteed answer is no. Uh, I would definitely be in architecture. It took that layoff to get to that point where I could see these new opportunities, like I said earlier. But then I always say, you know, I probably would have been happy because I always try to make myself happy with whatever situation I'm in. But I've definitely been able to, especially over the years um, after becoming an entrepreneur and after trying new things and after getting to know who I am a little bit better, I've definitely unlocked a level of happiness that, I would have never been able to unlock before. So to answer your question, absolutely. Like I'm in a whole new level. And, you know, it's funny because I, I remember 10 years ago, I was happy and I'm happy now, but just the level, the difference of happiness. And I think there's a lot of areas to that, right? Confidence, relationships, emotion. I mean, it, it's all changed. It's all upgraded for sure. And that's why the no's that you used to say yes to happen because you've reached a new level of joy that, is different than it was before. So before, the joy that you were capable of matched what you used to say yes to that now you're saying no to, and also what it means to match that level for you in an expanded way going forward is different as well. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's interesting because people go, oh, you used to be this way. And what they're saying is, I'm still emoting where you used to be, and you've changed, so I'm going to now project on you, which is so true. Society has, like, for example, selfishness, which is often that no. When you say that no, let's look at what happens for that other person. They get hurt or they get upset if they do that and they're calling you selfish because you used to always do this conference, you used to always speak here and it doesn't feel like a hell yes for you. I don't know if that's a situation you've ever had, but let's just make it up. Let's say you've done a conference three years in a row and then this year it's just not flowing. It doesn't feel like fun. It feels like a weight on your shoulders. So you say no. And if that person that organizes that event feels terrible, what they're doing is emoting based on what they're seeing. And if they make any blame internally or externally to you, they're saying you're in control of how I feel. And if you don't do this, I'm going to feel bad, but I'm going to call you selfish because what they're saying is my well-being emotionally is dependent on you doing this thing. I've expected you to do it. You've always done it in the past. You not doing it makes me sad and upset. So I'm selfishly going to call you selfish because I can't control my own feelings within myself. I'm actually using you as my excuse to be happy or unhappy. And then they call you selfish, but really they don't even see what their level of awareness that it's the most selfish of them to tell you, Pat, come against your will, come against what feels good for you. I want you to, it doesn't matter what you feel. If you don't feel like you want to do it, that's not as important to me as my feelings or what I think other people's feelings would be at this conference. Does that make sense? I love it and very relevant to where I'm at because I'm having to say no to a lot of things now that I used to do. So thank you for that. How does it feel to think about that? 
it feels empowering. It feels uh, amazing because now I know I'm in control. And it also reiterates what I try to teach the kids that like, you know, a lot of the things that may put us into a negative state aren't a reflection of who we are, but more so a reflection of the person who started that or who said that. Yeah. So the people that even like like leave any negative comments or feedback, that is a reflection of what's coming through them and where they're at. It actually has no real reflection on the level or state that you're necessarily in. Now, some people can intuit your energetic level on something. And law of attraction, if you feel insecure about it, you might attract someone that's going to pick up on that insecurity and then reflect that insecurity back at you. But often, if it comes from left field, it doesn't even phase us often because it's like, well, that's not even where I'm even vibrating at. So I'm not even near that. Like That's just obviously a reflection of their vibration. But it gets more nuanced when it's people we've known for a long time, like that conference example. And I would just give them compassion if they have that because it's really tough. Like they are feeling very bad and it sucks to be constantly up and down, up and down based on someone's actions. It's a really rough ride when you're waiting for everyone else to validate how you're feeling. But you're obviously not doing that. And I also find that the more stable people are in their joy in and of themselves, the more understanding they are of others when it's not in their joy to do something too. So my guess is that you're also pretty open and free with things. Like if things don't work out with speakers or guests or so forth, I'm guessing you're pretty open and easy and flexible about that and don't hold that against them. Is that true? That's true. Why do you think that's true without even thinking law of attraction necessarily? It's just, you know, not worth my time. I got too many people who need me, uh, family and fans, and, and you know it's not worth my brain space to get caught up in that. Yeah, so how do you think the business world would react if this content or concept was more spoken about, basically turning on the electricity before you vacuum the carpet? You know, I think awareness is one of the most important things, just to know that something is there and that it's a tool that we can use, and it's just... I think it would change a lot of people's approaches to their business. And I think it would help people who are in business make the decisions that they need to make that's better for who they are. I think you should get on more podcasts and talk about this. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll see if that flows. But yeah, thank you so much. Is there any other questions you have on the subject or anything you'd like to share based on what we've talked about that comes to mind? No, I'm just so thankful for you. Just I just want to say this and, and I appreciate you so much again for having me on. I feel like you know, as much as, you know, I journal every day and I meditate every day, I feel like having a conversation with you every once in a while would be a, a great, healthy thing for me to have, too. Yeah, well, just know, are you usually feeling good? I, I'm guessing you are, but do you usually have like a good state of feeling most of the time? I'd say 98% of the time, yes. Exactly. And that's why your life is 98% awesome, because you're getting what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. But I love that you have an even more, uh, maybe like, uh, interesting way of looking at it and appreciating all of that joy because your joy is what's creating more joy and more circumstances that reflect it. And your heart is so open. And that is why I think your audience and your business, the way you have structured it, works so well for you. And even though you are in your head and you love the joy of looking at the numbers, recognize it's the joy of looking at the numbers that's really doing the work, not the numbers themselves moving or motivating you because some people look at those numbers all day and they feel terrible and out of that they see terrible numbers. So the fact that you love the numbers, it's the love of the numbers and the love and the joy that you're pouring into that that's creating the positive appreciation and growth of that. Where other people looking at those numbers, you know those people too, I'm sure, would struggle with their businesses and they feel bad, they feel bad, they're not there yet, they're not there yet, they're looking at the numbers and out of looking at them, they just dig themselves emotionally and then circumstantially into a literal, physical, and emotional whole. So going back to your original, like, I love numbers and I love action, just recognize it's the love, which is the emotion, which is actually doing the leveraged work, then the rest of it pours forth. But that's basically you're plugging in the vacuum before you start vacuuming. Yeah, I love everything you're saying. Okay, so what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? Well, first of all, listen to this podcast, right? So we can be in tune with who we are and, and see if we can get into that flow state where we are working on things that we're excited about. And I think it's also important to have realistic expectations as well when we're getting into business too. And I think that doesn't mean you can't be happy now. Even if you're in a state where you 
know things could be better. I always say, you know, things could be worse too. And so let's appreciate all that we have in front of us to be able to carve a new path for us and we'll get there. So, you know, just kind of words of encouragement like that and and the fact that, you know, this is going to be a bumpy road, but the more that you can connect with other amazing people, the more likely it is somebody is going to help you when, you know, the blinders are on or it's just too blurry because you're too close into what you're trying to do. So, you know, the big thing that's helped me is getting connected with other people who care not just about me, but just in the way that I do things. And it just helps almost amplify that energy, I think, across everybody. I love it. Pat, thank you for coming on the show again. Yeah, thank you, Jess. I appreciate you. (laughs) And there you have it. Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And thank you for listening. If you want to send Pat a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Pat Flynn. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in chocolate chip lively. And for show notes for today's episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Pat Flynn three. Now for what I'm up to next, I'm here in Sydney, like I said, wrapping up flow with intention as well as flowing. I think my coffee table is going to arrive any day now, which I'm very excited about. I thought about getting a rose quartz coffee table, which I knew would be a big fan favorite for a lot of the crystal lovers out there like myself lately. But instead, I got a different material that is marble, but different than my typical go-to white marble. So excited to see what it looks like in person. And of course, I'll be sharing that on Instagram and otherwise just enjoying my time here in Sydney as I start to embark on a new chapter of what all of this work and flow around the world has led me to. I'll be sharing more about that project in the days and weeks to come. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 